Good day, dear course participants. I trust you are well. In this week, we are discussing the second part of Megatrends, again having an interview podcast with Professor Johan Beckmann. So, oh, thank you so much for joining us again, Professor Beckmann. You're welcome. So the first question I want to ask is if Prof can kindly elaborate on the six megatrends Mallorit discusses um, as you as participants also read um, these different megatrends in the reading that you had to do the previous week and also in this week. Thank you. Again, this question is not simple to answer. Uh, let me just emphasize again that whenever you talk about megatrends, you talk about transformation, you talk about change, and you talk about management and leadership. And I said last time, I prefer megatrends or using megatrends to develop a strategic plan instead of doing a SWOT analysis or a scenario because a megatrend provides you with well-researched and investigated data. It's not somebody's personal ideas. So megatrends help you with change management and leadership to restructure your organization to, to make it new. Um, I actually spoke about the Malaray uh, megatrends in the previous session, so I'm not going to repeat that, but uh, I just want to emphasize uh, the one idea that I just mentioned in passing, and that is that one of the megatrends that we all have to deal with is inequality and we in South Africa are well acquainted with it and we know the promise of our government is that they will manage inequality away. But if you look at the mega trend about inequality, one, one anticipates uh, big difficulties in managing inequalities away. Uh, I'll give you an example there uh, that's uh, from America. They say in 1980, a CEO of a company made 40 times more than the annual average income of his employees, 40 times. But now, they earn 300 times mm. the average employee earns. So, whatever has happened in America, the gap has not closed, it has widened. And there's another um, worrying factor. I say in 1975, the top 0.1% of earners and 2% of the country's income, 2%. Mm. Now, in 2008, 
that figure stands at 10.4% for the top 1%. Okay, now the important thing is that the top 1% have the best houses, the best education, the best doctors, the best lifestyles. But one thing that we have to cope with in the future is that people have to realize that the fact that they earn so much money does not mean that they're not connected to the other 99% of the population and they really have to um, start thinking of the other 99% and do something to help them. And TVEC colleges do play around in that. So as we're discussing Mallorit, how does he suggest we use these mega trains then? Okay, uh, I will say what Mallorit suggests, but also what I think we should do with them. The first thing is that we should not view mega trains with fear. I mean, I, I feel pretty afraid when I read about these inequalities, but we should not be afraid of megatrends. Instead, one must harness them. In other words, use them in your plans to help you do what you want to do. So we must use megatrends to create, to construct a vision for our organization, and also use the megatrends to help us formulate the strategies to get to our visions. So megatrends must be used to the benefit of the organization and they must not be seen as barriers that are in the way. That said, I still think you, you need to use megatrends very carefully, very critically, because you remember that I said that there's no one single definition of a megatrend. And some people present certain things that they've observed as megatrends, but those might just be some political views or some business views. And the problem with many people who present these mega views is that they are not people who have management and leadership in mind. All they want to do is to give their impressions of what they see. Mm. But we must use megatrends positively. Yes, that's, that's very important. So we will discuss it in more detail, but just for now, can Prof kindly give us a short description about how we do need to harness these megatrends? All right, this is also uh, mostly my own ideas and the first thing I want to say is that an organization needs to do constant research about megatrends. So every year I should know what the megatrends are out there and that might influence their function. I must do research about the megatrends. I must evaluate them. 
and that will avoid the situation where somebody gives you fake news and says this and this is a mega threat. Second thing you have to do in order to use megatrends properly is to always have baseline data about the state and the functioning of your organization. You must always be in a position where you can evaluate your organization so that you can think of how megatrends can help you change it. Another thing is do not be too hasty when you select megatrends. Do research. Make sure what people mean by them. See whether it is well-known researchers who promote those megatrends. But this is not a thing that you read in a magazine that you get at home, but it's something that you do on the basis of intensive research and investigation. The following thing is, while you're choosing megatrends, think about how your organization will be influenced should you use a certain megatrend to direct your organization. Next thing to do is think of ways in which you can use them to benefit your organization. I'm repeating something that I've said before. Usually if one sees the mega trends, one becomes a bit scared. It looks like big challenges. But I would urge you to change your mindset and say, no, I'm not going to be afraid of them. I'm going to think about how I can use them to the advantage of my organization. And for that purpose, in your organization, you must promote creative leadership and management. In other words, people that do not follow rules only, but are able to think out of the box, as we say. Then the next thing is, how do we use them? We make them part of our vision and mission. So when we've formulated our vision and mission, people should be able to see what mega trends we have built into that. Uh, an example that I give here is your strategic plan should say how your organization is going to respond to the fact that there will at first be too many old people in the market and within a not too long period there will not be enough young people and your plan should show how you plan to use that dream how it's going to influence your organization. And the last thing again is be critical of the mega trends that you read. 
people warn us against trusting everything that we read. We think if it's published, it must be the truth. Mm. Now, the Russians have got a good saying. They say, trust everybody, but still verify everything. And that says, be critical of what you read. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, Prof Beckman, I must say that this is um, very, very helpful and um, the summary of how you described to harness these megatrends um, are, are really, really wonderful. Um, in the next session that we'll have, the next podcast, we'll discuss more about how to harness these megatrends. So please stay tuned for that. Thank you so much, Prof Beckman. Okay, you're welcome. Dear course participants, welcome back for the second part of our discussion about harnessing megatrends. So again, we're with Prof Beckman and um, we're discussing the document that we uploaded for you for this week in where Mallorit discusses a few conceptual and attitudinal concepts in order to harness the megatrends. So I'm asking Prof Beckman to kindly elaborate on a few of this. So please first read the document and then also listen to the podcast. Thank you, uh, Mrs. Smith. I think we're now getting to the most practical part of, of this discussion. And I want to say that megatrends are extremely valuable aids for people developing strategic plans. I hope I have made that point clear before. Now, Malaray says something which makes me think, and that is that every leader must become a decision maker that is different to other decision makers. And why are they different? because they can successfully navigate the intricate and turbulent waters of our new world. They know what is required to make robust, sensible decisions in an environment undergoing seismic changes and characterized by un unprecedented volatility and uncertainty. In my own words, Mallory says, it's not easy to be a leader. You have a very rough time, but what will make you better than other leaders is if you can navigate, handle or cope with the challenges in an effective way. So that is an aim that you should set for yourself too. How can I lead and manage my college or organization so that I will look like a better leader than other leaders that are around? Now, Mallory says we need two things to be successful managers. And he calls those things conceptual tips 
and secondly, attitudinal tips. Um, these were interesting words for me to read, but uh, I found that Malarai motivates me very well. Now, what does he say? The things that we need to do if we want to become this leader that is better at coping with change. Now, he says a leader should use conceptual tips, which are little pieces of advice that seem to make a big difference in terms of success if you implement them consistently. Question is, where do you get the tips? The answer is, of course, in literature, of course, it is in talking to colleagues. It is in talking to networks. Now, attitudinal tips, he says, are psychological. It's not intellectual. Psychologic, psychological attributes that are needed to prevent some of the most basic mistakes we make when making decisions in conditions of uncertainty. Now, if you want to say that attitudes, emotions, feelings are more or less the same, then Malarai says we do not use them enough when we make decisions. And because we ignore our feelings, we make mistakes that can be very costly. Mm. Then he goes on to say a very, very important thing. He says, if we're now talking about good decision makers, leaders who stand out in the crowd, what are the essential qualities and modus operandi that set such leaders and decision makers apart from other ordinary leaders and decision makers. In other words, what is it that helps them navigate the intricate and turbulent waters of our new world? Right. I'm just going to try and, and say how conceptual tips help. Malarai says conceptual tips are little pieces of advice that seem to make a big difference in terms of success when implemented consistently. Attitudinal tips are psychological attributes needed to prevent some of the most basic mistakes. And now he gets to a very, very important concept, which I think we are totally neglecting in dealing with management and leadership issues. And that is, he says, at the end of the day, it is 
character that seems to make a difference. Character makes the difference between a good and an ordinary leader. He says it means possessing those attitudinal traits that are a prerequisite to effectively implement most of the tips. And he says something important. Character matters much more than intelligence or technical competence. He says those are qualities that we find too much of at the top of institutions and so on. The question that you will have to grapple with is how do you incorporate the idea of a person's character when you appoint people or leaders? Because the character of a person makes a difference to how he or she performs. Now, Mallory gives a number of conceptual tips. Now, I'll just go very briefly over some of them. The first thing that he says is you need to master contextual intelligence. Now, he says that somebody who was the dean of the Harvard Business School says that contextual intelligence has always been a characteristic of good leaders across generations. All the good leaders that we've had have had contextual intelligence. Then a Canadian specialist defines it a bit more easily. He says the idea of contextual intelligence is that a leader knows that no two institutions or organizations are identical and their contexts are not identical. And he says the many chosen leaders of institutions should develop strategic plans that will suit the specific contexts in which the institutions are situated. I think we all know that some institutions are in urban areas, some in rural areas, some in affluent, some in very poor areas. And you've got to reflect that in your strategic plan and in your vision. So the question that I ask here is how is it possible that when we went to visit TVET institutions, we saw they all had exactly the same vision. It means there was no contextual intelligence used. The second thing he says is don't think in silos. So don't think about one thing only. Always consider the influence of your decisions on the functioning of all the other parts of your organization. Don't just think of the finance, but also think of the influence on your staff or on the influence of your infrastructure. The third thing he says is 
do not try to predict what cannot be predicted. So the coronavirus would be a good example of that. But he says we as people have this character as people that we hate uncertainty. And our brains long for something that gives us a greater sense of certainty about the future. Even if we know it could be irrelevant or misleading. But do not try to predict what you cannot predict. Now, how you deal with that, I think, will become clear from some of the other things that he says. Fourth thing is, be wary of experts' predictions. And there was a scientist by the name of Tetlock, who demonstrated clearly that there's an inverse relationship of correlation between celebrity and accuracy. In other words, if you're a very well-known, very popular person, you're on TV every night, the chances are that there's not much accuracy in what you say. So be critical about what you accept. Again, remember, a Russian saying, listen to the people, trust them, but verify. You must all have experienced the feeling of watching TV and hearing someone speak and saying to yourself, that is utter nonsense. But that is an attitude that you should have. The next thing that he says is if we work with megatrends, revert to simplicity. And what he means by that is to not engage in something you do not understand. And sometimes that is a temptation because we think it shows that we are clever. His next idea is that we must only control the things that you can control. There are many things you can't control. But one of the things that you could do is to take only risks that you understand. Stephen is uh, maybe a new idea for most of us. He says we must not try to predict catalyst. Now, what he means by a catalyst is something that will set all your plans in motion and that will help you make sure that they all work. He says we should not try to look for something that will start everything. Instead, we should try to find out what it is that makes us vulnerable. Eighth thing is don't rely on mechanical models. And you know people think that if they have a program, that solves the job. He says don't 
do that. Computer models, he says, are strong and easy, but dangerous. And he says they rarely work. And I suppose you can all get a fight. Then he says, use scenarios. And scenarios are stories about futures that may happen. Now, in South Africa, we have people like Tim Sontner, who has developed scenarios about what can happen in the future. We have another guy called Franz Grunier, and then we have an organization called Inclula Meeting. South African scenario 2030. And they are all people who have tried to help us paint a picture of the future. This last group, the SA scenarios, have come up with this image. I say we all need to be giraffes because we need to be able to look over the trees in our way. Another thing is uh, just in teachings from Latin. It says, don't fall in the Keteris Paribus trap. And all that means is we look at things and we think they are totally separated from one another and they are never like that. Next thing that he says, rely on the power of networks. I can give you advice, I can give you warning, especially when you're struggling with complex matters. Next one, the last thing that he says is, do not predict the future. The world is impossible to forecast. He says, but big surprises are almost always preceded by some signals. And we need to learn to pick up those signals. Now, he gives the example of Economists in the United States, which warned the World Economic Forum at Davos in Switzerland about the economic um, storm that we would be facing in 2009, but nobody listened to them. So. Don't try to predict the future, but see what warning signs there are. And one big warning sign is we won't have enough money, but I can be about it. Then the last bit is attitudinal tips. And remember, he says that's more important than intellectual or conceptual. It is about character, emotion. 
And the first thing he says is we must be prudent. That's a person that doesn't take unnecessary risks. He says, but you might take risks, but only where you understand the risks well. Be prudent. Next one is be humble. And he says, information that you may have is not knowledge. And knowledge is not understanding. So he says, you must move from information to knowledge to understanding. And then he says this awful thing. One can have perfect information and good knowledge and yet make a stupid decision because of a lack of understanding. Then adapt quickly and decisively. Now he talks about the boiling frog syndrome. You know that story about somebody putting a frog uh, in a kettle, pouring water over it, setting a fire, a light under the kettle. And the frog stays in the kettle because the heat rises gradually. And when the frog realizes it's too hot, it's too late. So do not take your decisions too late. Do not take decisions only when you think you have to avoid catastrophes. Then it says trust with discernment. And that is the thing that I have said before. Do not just trust a person. No. We trust people because they both speak the same language speak because they're the same country as we are. I studied at the same university, we belong to the same political party. And then we think they can be trusted. But the Russians say very clearly, trust people, but verify first. And then he concludes by talking about the disaster on the American stock market in 2009 because there was a guy who called Madoff who had a pyramid scheme and people lost millions and millions of dollars in there. But it's because people trusted Madoff because they thought he was rich and successful and they wouldn't cheat them. They did not verify. Then be emotionally intelligent. And this is another point that they make. What separates great decision makers from average ones is their level of emotional intelligence and their capacity to install emotional intelligence 
in their columns. And the last point is being imaginative. All right, you all know the story of think out of the box and probably one of the most clever people that ever lived said something that we can all remember. It was Albert Einstein who said, logic will take you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. So at the end of this podcast, let me just say that I have a very soft I believe it's a critical sector for the success of our country. I believe it should be treated better. But if you become imaginative leaders with character that can use conceptual and attitudinal tips, that will go a long way to exciting the TV sector what our country needs. Uh, I wish you the very best with this program and I trust that it will help you change into a better leader than you are and that your organizations will also benefit from the fruits of your Thank you so much, um, Prof Beckman. And I'm sure that I know that all these tips from Mallory that Prof shared and his explanation of it will assist you and will make you a better leader as we've discussed it many times with one another in terms of us needing to be the change in order to make the change. So I do hope that you reflect on all of this and then use it also in your own leadership professionalism, but also in terms of your strategic plan. Prof. Um, Johan Beckman, thank you so, so much for the, the interview we had today and for your time and sharing your expertise. We really do appreciate it tremendously. It has been a singular pleasure. Or as the Scots people say, don't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Prof. Have a good day. Thank you. <laughs>